Welcome to Real Talk with Re for mums that want to go from surviving to thriving in motherhood in a neuro-spicy world. We'll be talking about how we can get more organized and minimize stress so that we can avoid burnout, have more quality time with our babies and breathing space in our lives. As a mum of children with autism, we'll be talking about the joys plus the challenges of parenting children on the spectrum. From first noticing the signs of autism through the diagnosis process to strategies to help you and your children stay happy, we're covering it all. As a 40-year-old woman recently diagnosed with ADHD, we'll also be talking about how all too often women and girls are going undiagnosed, why this is a problem, the misconceptions surrounding ADHD, the signs to look out for, and the simple things that we can put in place to make our lives easier. So whether you're a mum or a dad feeling disorganized and over overwhelmed in the fog of parenthood, wondering if you or someone you love may be somewhere on the spectrum or living in a neuro-spicy household, the Real Talk with Re podcast is the place for you. Hi guys, Re here from mummyof4.com. Welcome back to the Real Talk with Re podcast, where we talk about all things mum life, parenting, we talk about autism, we talk about organisation, we talk about all the things. It's a really good place for me to answer your questions, chat to you, specifically dive deeper when I get questions sent in on my main channel, Mummy of Four, and just a place we can kind of hang out. So if you're tuning in on YouTube, hello, this is a brand new channel, so make sure you subscribe, or if I'm in your AirPods or I'm keeping you company while you're on a walk, then do make sure you tag me in stories. I love to see where you are listening and what you're up to. So kind of a lighthearted, fun one for you today. We're going to be talking about the worst advice ever. And I put out a little question box on my stories on my main Mummy of 4 UK Instagram. And this is the worst advice that you have ever been given, you good people out there on the internet. And one that came up a lot, this came up so much, and the advice that so many of you were given that just is the worst advice because it doesn't work is sleep when the baby sleeps. And then you, you know, you you think of all, all the memes and am I supposed to, you know, clean when the baby cleans and all that stuff as well. And it is... It, in an ideal world, it is lovely, lovely advice, isn't it? But this lovely, lovely advice assumes that we don't have anything else going on in our lives that we have to do to function in order to take care of the baby, like make sure the baby has clean clothes and nappies, to make sure the baby's siblings are cared for, to make sure the baby's mother has eaten and showered occasionally. So yeah, obviously in an ideal world, we would sleep when the baby sleeps, wouldn't we? And it is a very rare commodity sleep when you are a new mum. And I think the the closest I came to it in recent years was last time we came back from Florida and I had jet lag and everything kind of, I almost felt slightly drunk, you know, everything kind of went wobbly. I felt a little bit dizzy and I thought, wow, I'm so tired. This feels like when my kids were newborn. I'm that tired. So yeah, in an ideal world, we do try and sleep when the baby sleeps, but realistically, newborn babies sleep a lot, but they sleep in busy places when you are out of the house in their lovely cozy prams. Anyone else super jealous of babies in prams, by the way, especially under rain covers? I'll never understand a toddler who's like, I don't want these rain covers. (laughs) I'm very much like, well, I would love to be sitting under there right now while it is raining. I would literally be in there 
cutched in. That's what Welsh word, isn't it? Cutched. It means like cuddled in. Cutched in, looking out at everyone else going, ha, I'm dry suckers. Anyway, more um, more terrible advice. Um, this, is, this is one that um, was said to me a lot, and a lot of people still kind of say it, and that's never wake a sleeping baby. Um, and it does seem unnatural to want to wake a sleeping baby, but you know, sometimes you need to because if you know that baby has not had a feed and is due to have a feed, then you're going to have to wake that baby. This is specifically something that I noticed when I had more children. So when you've got one child, um, so this is very much the case with my eldest, I could very much just be in tune with his needs. I didn't have to adhere to any routine but his. And while the challenges come because you're a new mum, you haven't done it before and you're figuring it all out. And if you had the knowledge and experience you have when you've had more children back then, you'd be like, wow, this is really, compared to having multiple children, this is easier. And I can, you know, I can just follow the, the rhythms and routines of my child. However, when you've got things like school runs to do and you know, it's like, right, okay, I've got to leave the house at this time. I'm not going to get you know we're going to get to school and then we're going to have to get back so I'm, there's not going to be anywhere to stop and feed the baby because I'm going to have to be like walking my child to school I can't physically do that and feed the baby at the same time sometimes you're going to have to wake a sleeping baby to make sure that that sleeping baby has had a feed so that baby is not upset while you're out doing the school run for example so for me and I've talked about routine so much on my main channel I really lent into routine when I had my subsequent children because I felt that so many of my days, as in at least Monday to Friday, if not some of the weekends, so much of my time had naturally imposed routine upon it anyway. And the question was, do I fight this or do I lean into it? So when I had Will, I really lent into routine because it's like, well, I've got to be out of the house. I'm going to be out of the house at these times doing school runs. I've got to take my other child to school. I've got to feed my other child at this, these times. So therefore, we naturally had so much routine imposed upon us that I just thought, well, do you know what? We may as well just go with it and schedule in making sure I feed my baby before the school ran. So therefore, I had to wake him up. So never wake a sleeping baby. It's definitely something my grandmother used to say. She, she was so lovely, but there was just something she always said. Um, it just wouldn't have worked when you've got multiple children and you have routines, so in order to meet the baby's needs, sometimes you're going to have to wake them. Um, so the next one, rushing a child's progress and advice of like, they should be doing this by now, you should be doing that by now. And I know we've all fallen pressure to this at some point or felt this pressure, fallen um, victim to, I guess. And I think I fell um, into this a little bit. Um, and you guys wouldn't know this because I don't think I started blogging until Zara was about seven months. So I think I fell into this a little bit when I was pregnant with Zara. I was like, well, I don't, like, do I want to have two in nappies? Because I had Bella, who was, um, I think she was 17 months when I found out I was pregnant with Zara. So I thought, ooh, do I want to be doing potty training alongside having a new baby? So I thought, right, I either do it before the baby comes or way, way, way after the baby comes because I don't want to be doing it in the throes of the newborn stage when she's already adapting to not being the baby anymore, to having the new sister, all this stuff. So I attempted potty training. I had people in my life going, she's ready, she's ready, you can do it. And I attempted it. We did abandon it. And then I wonder if I'd not had that pressure, would I have bothered? Would I have just been like, it's fine. It happens when it happens. If 
if I can't do it straight after the new the baby's born because it's um, potty training, you know, like around two-ish. And I had someone in my life that was quite, um, how do you put this politely? Uh, the kind of person that was saying, you know, should be doing this by now, should be doing that by now. Like putting pressure on about developmental stuff. And it was very much like, well, you were potty trained at this age and you just took two minutes and we told you if you were on this potty and have a smarty and that was potty training in the end. Um, so... <laughs> There was this pressure of just just do it and it's done. And actually, that wasn't the right time for us. That wasn't the right time for her. Um, so we totally shelved it. We stepped away from potty training until um, way after. Zara was a little bit older, so Bella was still two. Um, but then I definitely had that pressure with, should be doing this by now, should be doing that by now. With William as well, there were other people in my life at the time. Um putting this pressure mm, shouldn't you know and a lot of these things we now know were traits of autism a lot of the things that are no longer kind of a problem not because autism isn't there anymore but just because those things don't have to be a problem anymore and I definitely think that feeling that pressure oh if they're not you know reading this by this stage or potty trained or and potty trained and drying the nights another one it's not just potty training it is like are they potty trained for weeds? Are they potty trained for poos? Are they dry at night? You know, there's so many things and we feel such pressure. Um, does your child know all this? You know, are they keeping up these various things? Are you send them into school knowing certain amounts? And we're all different as parents. All the families that we have look different. And some kids just take to things so easily. And when you get someone going, oh, just do this, it's easy. And then it's not that simple for you. It can feel just so much pressure. So I definitely think that rushing your child's progress that is terrible advice so good one person that sent that one in um so next piece of advice that has been sent in um if you don't acknowledge your autistic son's behavior he'll grow out of it that is pretty bad advice i've got to agree <laughs> that's pretty dreadful advice um i don't think that all behaviors displayed by a child with autism will be around forever but I don't think ignore that's because we ignore them. I think that's because we we um, work on strategies for them. The, autism isn't something that people grow out of. It's something that is there or isn't there. It's something that if you know it's there, then you can learn more strategies. You can work with your child. And definitely um, things that some things, some difficulties that my children had, some specific difficulties that they really struggled with when they were younger. Some of them, they don't struggle as much with those particular things. Now they might have different struggles, but they struggle with it as much with those particular things because we've worked on them, because we've put so much in place, because we work with the school, because, you know, stuff is in place to help them. And it's because they've been helped through them that they find those particular situations easier. It's not because we ignored them or because they grew out of them because that's just not a thing so yeah that's really really bad advice um there we go next one don't get them obsessed they may come up with a diagnosis they don't need again I just I don't personally I'm not a doctor I'm not um a specialist in autism I'm a parent of four children on the spectrum however <laughs> having witnessed um I was allowed to watch three out of the four assessments uh, the last assessment to be done for my eldest, it was during COVID times and it was a school age assessment as opposed to a preschool age assessment. So it was done under slightly different criteria. It was done in a different place. Um, it was actually done by the same woman that did one of the other children's assessments. So I, I, like, I totally trusted it, but I didn't get to witness it. So I can't comment directly on what went in on what went on in the room 
because I wasn't allowed to go in the building because of COVID and I wasn't allowed to watch it because I wasn't allowed to be in the building. Um, But for the other three assessments, from what I witnessed, I can't imagine them being accidentally dishing out a diagnosis that they don't need. And having discussed in depth with specialists that I do deeply trust and I really um, trust their opinions, some really, you know, expert people that have dealt with my children, I just can't see how a diagnosis would be given to a child that doesn't need it. I can see that a child that does need an assessment would not get an assessment because we see that all the time. That happens so much and that sometimes that's because the school don't see evidence that's in school that maybe we see at home. That's maybe because parents don't want to pursue an assessment because that's just how they feel. Um, so I can see a child not getting assessed that needs it. <sighs> I always worried would a child of mine not get a diagnosis even though they needed one because they were masking in the assessment and actually I would say having watched them that that's unlikely I can't say that it would never happen but I really don't think someone who needed who didn't need a diagnosis sorry would get one because it's such an in-detailed process I just I can't see that happening so that's not a concern of mine at all um so it's pretty bad advice um oh next one next next one's brilliant okay you think this is hard just wait until they get to the xyz stage and while it could be true at times uh you know oh you think having one baby's hard once you got two uh wait till you think child is hard wait till the teenager it's so not helpful it's so unhelpful because the person that is dealing with that struggle at the time is struggling and making them feel belittled, making them feel like it, that their struggles are not real and making them feel there's only worse to come. How is that helping anyone? It's not helping anybody. So please don't say that to anyone. And if anyone says that to you, please tell them to do one. <laughs> it's not helpful at all. Oh, here's another classic. Um, put brandy in the baby's bottle. Now, when did they stop dishing this advice out? This is the kind of thing that was, I know, thrown around. That's the kind of thing my grandparents would have said. Did they do that to us? Did did our parents do that to us? Now, I know that that's not something I've ever considered doing to my children. Um, drugging them. <laughs> it's not a good idea. Please don't take this advice. It's terrible advice. Um, but when did that advice go away? When did that stop? Has it totally stopped? Please tell me no one said that to you lately. Um, Is that the kind of thing that maybe was going on when my grandparents were parenting my parents' age? My parents would be in their 60s. Or is that something that parents were doing to people who are now my... I'd love to know that. I would. I would love to know if if that is the case. When did all that stop? Please tell me it has stopped. Okay, the next one. All things that you're saying are describing sound like autism let's just wait until they go to school to refer them. And that's coming from a health visitor. I mean, face palm. That just sounds like a health visitor that, um, how do I say this politely, is is, um, trying to lessen the load of their work. Because if a child is displaying traits, then you need an answer. Have they got autism? Have they not got autism? Are they on the pathway? Even when you refer at the earliest possible time, there's still going to be a heck of a waiting list. And that's times that potentially the child is having challenges and not having any support. The parents are having challenges and not having any support. This is dreadful advice. And if your health visitor says that to you, say, no, no, I think we'll go with the referral option, please. And it is your right to insist. And if they they are saying, we see signs here, but I don't want to refer, 
you need to ask why and that's possibly a time where you need to take that further unfortunately there is so much fighting and there is a lot of fighting to be done when you are trying to get your child assessed to see if they have additional needs to see if they need support for additional needs it's something I feel quite strongly about um, because I've had to go through it and I've had to fight so hard and it's absolutely drained me and I'm naturally quite um determined <laughs> it's about stubborn determined um I I don't I was very much brought up to sort of not speak uh not to speak out of turn kind of thing so that's that very polite bit of me had to really wrestle with the, the determined bit of me but if I'm that stubborn and I found it so hard to fight there must be children that without people fighting that hard aren't getting the help they need and why should parents have to fight that hard and go through that much that's it, it does seem very, very unfair. And I don't know, um, I'm not going to pretend, I'm not a politician, I, I'm not going to pretend to know what the perfect system would be because I'm sure a lot of it's budgetary. Um, but I know it needs it needs improvements. It definitely does. Okay, next one. Um, the just ignore it advice given to bullying, mental health problems and more. Yeah, there are certain things that you can ignore and certain things you cannot. So... It's absolutely true that you shouldn't allow things to get to you and no one can make you feel inferior without your permission and all this stuff. So it's absolutely true that technically we shouldn't let these things get to us. And yes, possibly if you ignore a bully, they'll go away. However, that's a very fobbing off piece of advice because if someone is dealing with bullying, if a child is dealing with bullying and it is coming to them every day and it's affecting them, just telling them to ignore it, it's not going to go away. Just telling a parent to ignore it, it's not going to go away. Mental health issues, just ignore it, it's not going to go away. Action needs to be taken in order to make sure things actually, you know, are resolved. So no, ignoring it's not going to work. Ignoring it's not going to work. Um, and not letting things get to you is an ideal situation. Because that's something I get told a lot, actually. Just don't let it get to you. Um, and I know in theory that's true. And, and I would love to be able to just not let things get to me. And I'm working on it, I really am. Um, and it's advice that you can quite easily see. So say if there is bullying, trolling you got on the internet. Um, if someone was saying awful things, mean, awful, untrue things to a friend of mine, I'd be like, oh, that's awful and clearly not true. You're clear, you know, do not pay any attention to that. Um, or if someone's, you know, someone in their family is criticizing their parenting, that's awful. You're an amazing mum. Obviously, don't listen to that. So it's very easy to give that advice to someone else and to know clearly this is nonsense. You're an amazing person. You should ignore it. It's much harder to take that advice for ourselves, isn't it? much much harder but um i'm working on it uh so the next one and again this one is true but it's so not helpful you only get 18 summers with them you need to make the most of them yes okay we only get 18 summers where they are technically children but unless you plan to fall out with your children after then you're still going to see them after that you know hopefully you continue to have a relationship with your children as adults you don't only get 18 summers and the pressure we put on ourselves as parents because of those only 18 summers thing is just awful and can be really really stressful and not fun for anyone so please ignore that one um and then another one was uh this one's quite specific to me actually with someone coming to the house once, just after Will was diagnosed, telling me he'd never be in mainstream school, and I need to come to terms with that. And I thought, well, you've not even actually met him. You don't know the school. You don't know. And that was bad advice because it was actually just very untrue. And if I'd just taken that as read, if I'd taken that on board and be like, okay, this woman said this. She's an expert. She's wearing a badge. She got sent here to my house to talk to me. So I think 
listening to what people say just because someone is in a position of authority, just because they have been sent by the NHS or whatever, you're allowed to ask a second opinion. You're allowed to question judgment. I'm, you know, obviously take advice from people that know what they're talking about. But if your gut tells you "Mm, something off here, then listen to your gut people because it'll generally guide you in the right way. And uh, then this one, following the crowd, just make sure, you know, keep your head down and do what everyone else is doing. And just because everyone else is doing it does not make it the right thing to do. It's true. You guys have really been given some very bad advice that we need to ignore, haven't you? Um, And I've got to say, I think all of these things that have been said to you guys, this bad advice has been given to you, I think I've had all of it at some point. I think someone has said all of those things to me at some point during my life, certainly as a mother. How uh, mad is that? So how much of this advice have you been given? Let me know. And is there any other really dreadful advice that you have been given? Please do share it with me. Thanks so much for watching, listening, wherever you're tuning in. And I shall see you next week for another episode of Real Talk with Rue. Bye.